Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin, and my guest today is the creator of the Off the Glass podcast, Mr. Zach Ramey. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, James, man. Um, honored, glad that you thought of enough of me to, to be a guest on your podcast. Um, you know, I do the basketball thing, the sports thing, so to kind of just be on a, another type of podcast where I could have a conversation and just let the people know a little bit more about me. I, I definitely was excited for the opportunity. So thank you, man. I love what you do. You've been following me since early on. We kind of started around the same time, man. So I'm glad to see you still going and um, really enjoy the podcast. Then before I get in, a, first of all, thank you for following. Um, we we go, we will touch on it a little bit, but I wanted to just say, man, I love your podcast. Um, I got, you know, I'm still catching up because the season just started and We've talked about it. Like, I'm not a big NBA fan until the playoffs start. So, right now, I'm kind of like out of the loop. But I like following your podcast because you could kind of like bring me up to speed. So, I like, you know, that's the main reason I like it. And I think anybody who enjoys basketball, like, it's a lot of people who love the game of basketball. I definitely think they should give your podcast a follow. Thank you. I appreciate that. So when did you actually start the podcast, the Off the Glass podcast? When did you start it? So we're in year three. So it was, uh, you know, two years ago in October. And um, I've just always been somebody that loved the game, played the game. Obviously, I know we'll get to that in a minute. But my wife just came up with the idea, like, why don't you just do a podcast? And um, I was like, okay. So I started doing the research and, watching a bunch of YouTube. I've already listened to podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts since probably 2007 um, because of my, we'll talk about that too, my playing career. That was my way of staying up with the game when I was overseas, was listening to different podcasts. So that's kind of always had a love for it. So it just kind of made sense. So I just went full-fledged and just started one. Now, you said, what year did you start it? I'm sorry. If it's 2009, so 2017, the fall of 2017, that season. Okay. Was you was you nervous when you first started it? Oh man, extremely nervous. Extremely nervous. I'm a perfectionist. Um, never. I don't mind talking in front of people because of my background in sports. I, I've done that, but just I, I learn. I learn really quickly. It's a lot harder than what people think, especially if you're sitting here trying to talk about a subject and you talking to yourself, like you have nobody to play off of. You just talking to yourself. So I was, I was very nervous. I mean, were people going to like it? Will I be able to have guests? Um, I was kind of apprehensive, not sure what I was really trying to do. It was kind of like a hobby. Let's do it. Now it's turned into, for me, that's why my content, a lot of things have changed. If you've been following me, especially this season is about really just building a brand and making my imprint in this media world and this sports podcasting world and really taking it serious to the point to make it a profitable business, not just something I do, something that I want to be able to grow and um, support my family through and also give other uh, young people, especially uh, black people and young, you know, black boys. Like I'm, I got some stuff set up. I'm going to go into the schools, but you know, I really think our imprint and podcasting could be a lot bigger. And I think it starts with the young people. And I think we all should be in some capacity doing some form of podcast, basically based on not even your interest, but whatever your 
career or your profession is. You should be doing some type of podcast. I really believe that. Wow, you know what? That's an interesting take. I um, I will say I've never done one solo. I said this year I'm going to try it. It, it, it seems like it's a little harder because, like you said, you're kind of just playing off yourself. Right. Yeah, it's a – I will say this. And, again, hold on one second. I'm sorry. Sorry, people. Sorry, sorry. Don't edit this out. This is podcasting, but my, my phone failed. Um, <laughs> But I will say this, it's, it makes you have to be more prepared because people could spot right away if you're listening to it like, oh, he wasn't prepared. He's just kind of rambling. He's kind of just all over the place. It makes you have to be very, very prepared in um, what you're doing. And if, you, if you're somebody like me that wants to have the perfect show because you want people to listen and enjoy it, you want to come across as somebody who knows what they're talking about. Um, so for me, I know my style, I don't like just like winging it. I want to have a plan. I want to have an outline. I want to have some thoughts. I want to jot some things down. Um, so it is, it's, it's definitely different. Like this year, I actually did my first in-person interview and it was almost for me like cheating. It was so easy because you could just kind of just play off that other person, the energy, you could see their facial expression. So it's definitely an advantage to actually doing it with somebody else versus solo. Now the in person, who, who was it? Uh, was it for their podcast or like a YouTube channel? What was it for? No, it was for my podcast. It was the one I did with uh, Chicago legend Paul McPherson. So we okay. actually met in the Hyatt, sat down, chopped it up for a minute, and um, it turned out really well. Like people really just loved that podcast. Not just people from Chicago, but even a podcast as small as mine. You know, I have people, I have a 16-year-old in Australia that is a religious listener to it. So um, for him to finally see me do one in person, like, he really liked it, you know. So it's something to be said when you actually can sit in a room and vibe off of somebody. It really is. Did you, where'd you post it? It's on my website. It's on uh, my website. You can, you know, uh, the link to the podcast is on my website, the Off the Glass Podcast. It's on YouTube because Spreaker automatically uploads it. So all the podcasting uh, streaming platforms have it. And then I have to re-upload the video. It, something happened with the video. So I'm working through it. My goal is I'm off this weekend to actually have the video up so you'll be able to see the whole video on youtube so give me till definitely monday the whole interview will be up on my youtube channel which is the off the glass podcast as well okay now we're gonna go back we're gonna go we're gonna start like when did you when did you know everything started with basketball so what age did you start playing i was somebody that you would call a child prodigy um my mom was an assistant basketball coach at a university here in Chicago. So I was in the womb around the game. So I picked up a ball as early as like 19 months, like running up and down the court, um, surrounded by women. So I had that perspective as well. My dad was one of my coaches, but I actually learned the game from females. I never played my dad one-on-one. It was all from women, like my godmother, I call them my aunts. So for me, I had an early start by seven years old, I was playing organized. I was playing something called small fry basketball. It's still around. Um, it's not as big as it used to be because AAU has such a stronghold now. But it was super dope because you played on an eight foot six rim. You couldn't be taught in five foot one. And the oldest age was 13. 
and we played with a, a woman's ball. So it was really a guard game. And even to, to, to today, uh, it produced a lot of the top point, top point guards, a lot of top guards. Um, for people who listen, who follow sports, like every top guard that came out of Chicago around that time, um, like Will Bynum, he still plays in the, in the big three right now. Went to Georgia Tech, overseas, Detroit Pistons. Um, Sean Dockery that played at Duke. Uh, D. Brown that was on that Illinois team that almost beat North Carolina in 05. So uh, even Cappy Pondexter that played in the WNBA for many years, just retired, played small for us. So I kind of got my feet wet during that. It was highly competitive. So by fifth grade, I was the starting point guard on my eighth grade team at like four foot nine, four foot ten. So for me, I fell in love with it early on. It just came natural. It was just something you didn't have to force me to do. Um, it was just, I developed confidence in it. And like I said, I was just really good at it. It just came very, very easy to me. I didn't really have to work at it, to be honest with you, until I got to college. So I'm going to go back because you mentioned that you were coached mainly by women. Would you say, because you play basketball, I'm not going to lie. I I play basketball, but I'm not (laughs) a basketball player, right? So would would you say because you were coached by a lot of women, that your fundamentals will be better? Because I think the women's game is more fundamental. Would you agree with that? I would agree that the women's game is more fundamental because we teach women not to use their athleticism. I think if you fast forward now, the WNBA has changed to the point where, depending, I think most of the teams put out a great product, in my humble opinion, not just playing basketball, because they're running up and down the court, they're shooting threes, they're more athletic than ever. They're just not dunking every play. And I think that's what a lot of men don't understand. You know, they're not dunking, they're not this. But I would say the era I played in, we were a lot more fundamentally sound. But like everything else, you know, like things evolve and progress. So like to me, the tipping point for basketball and fundamentals was the rise and popularity of and one and street ball, street ball basketball, Allen Iverson's crossover, things like that, where you are now allowed to manipulate the ball in ways that you couldn't before. That's actually legal in games that I remember like with the, the hesitation move now, like you could actually almost turn the ball over. I did that growing up. It would have been a violation. So I think it's a combination of things. I, I think to your point, um, learning the game from, from women, the era I played in and, um, just watching the progression of the game. I would say, yeah, I had a strong, a strong foundation, but I would argue these kids do too nowadays. I think the difference nowadays, I think when people say they're not fundamentally sound or they're not this, they don't necessarily have the game experience or the reps to draw from. Like they don't necessarily know how to play the game, but these guys are getting training, like really good training at ages. I didn't even get some of the stuff they're doing. I didn't get till I became a pro later on. So I just think the, the, how to apply the skills, is maybe not the same as it used to be when we were coming up, like actually knowing how to play the game, in my opinion. But these kids nowadays are way more skilled than I ever was at that age and way more athletic. Well, I will. So you mentioned the kids, but I'm going to tell you about something that I read. And I don't know if you, you've um, read this. They were talking about the amount of the, the uh, players now who, when they get to like their second or third year, that, they tan the ACLs, they tan the Achilles. There's more injuries now because yeah. players are playing so they're starting so young. So I yeah, mean, maybe develop. I but. did. I did a blog <laughs> post on that, bro. It's funny you say that. I 
I wrote a blog post on my website called uh, entitled parents. What are we doing? And I outlined all of that. And I showed the statistics of how I want to say, I think I looked at 15 years ago, 20 years ago, like only one rookie from that class missed a significant amount of games. And then just in the last few years, you had like eight or nine, like the numbers were crazy. So I laid it all out and you're right. I coached AAU for one summer and it was insane. I remember one weekend we played like five games in one day. It was something crazy like that. So not only are they not getting the proper recovery time with their bodies, you factor in, we were eating Chipotle and McDonald's and all this other kind of stuff. So you're not eating right. Your body's not resting. You're not actually learning how to play because you can't play hard every game. It's impossible. So, yeah, I talked about that. It's, it's a lot a lot to that that's going on. I agree 100%. That's why you see so many more injuries right now. Now, you played overseas. What was that experience like? It was it was an amazing, amazing experience. Um, I'm always transparent about my career. I didn't necessarily get to play at the highest level. I didn't make a bunch of money. Um, but the experience, I've lived in Canada for, for a period of time. I spent back-to-back seasons, so a nice period of time in Finland. And I spent about a month or so, two months, close to two months in Poland. And just to see different cultures, different languages, um, be around different people. Like Finland by far was an example of if your population is only like the city of Chicago, which is smaller now, so we'll just say the Chicago area, like four and a half million, what a true social system can look like. Like there was no homelessness, no violence. I think they averaged one homicide a year. Um, the school system is one of the best in the, in, the, in the world. Like you can go to school for free there. I went through college. Like I had a teammate who was obviously an American like me. He was getting his master's in business there for free. He applied and got in. Um, just their core values was just, was so different. It was clean. Even real quick, I'll give you a quick example. We had to do a, cl- a clinic. And when I came into the gym, all the kids were barefoot. Except for one had on gym shoes. So I was confused. Like, they on the Euro. Like, they got money. So I asked my teammate, like, what's going on? And he told me, well, because some, most of them play hockey or do other sports, outdoor sports, the parents don't see a point in them having gym shoes, especially when it's wintertime. And I'm just like, wow. Like, and I think about, about the amount of shoes I've had in my closet over the years and the frivolous things we buy as Americans and just to see as a culture, the mindset, like even the teachers, nobody's walking around in high heels and fancy dress shoes. Everybody's boots were by the door. Nobody worried about anybody taking anything. The, the teachers are walking around in like sandals and Crocs. You know, it was just that kind of stuff really stuck out to me culturally and just seeing how, you know, not, not saying they don't have they set of problems too. I, I know they do, but it was just very eye opening to see how, the rest of the world, even Canada, Canada, super clean, great place. Um, very inviting. It doesn't, you don't feel the same type of pressures you feel when you're here in the United States. I'll just put it like that. You really don't. So, okay. So being to being, being exposed to these different causes in different places, what does it make you feel about being here? Did it, did it change how you felt being here or? No, for me, it kind of confirms some things. Um, my background is I have a degree in social science with a concentration in history. So I'm an avid reader, avid researcher. Like I could easily do a current event 
political media, all that type of podcast. I just choose not to because of the field of work I'm in right now. But um, I always knew how the rest of the world kind of was in comparison to the United States, especially um, being black and being a, a, a man, young man, a man now growing up in, in this society, especially growing up in Chicago, um, contrary to what the news wants to paint. Like we've had these kind of issues um, for a while now. So just to see, I already knew where you have like economic opportunity, when you have a plan, when you have a knowledge of self, when you have your culture in place, like things aren't dis- disrupted. You just really know who you are and you have a plan and a sense of community. It wasn't surprising to me to see like a Finland or even some of these other countries who, or even these other groups of ethnic groups who cultures haven't been disturbed like ours to kind of just see how it, it, it functions. I was like, yeah, okay. I could see how this, how this works versus, you know, being here in Chicago or any other inner city or any other part of the country here. It's just, it just confirmed to me what I already knew of what it should actually look like if we actually had that type of opportunity to be able to get things together on that level. Now we look at, when we, we look at basketball, we view it, from, you know, most of the time we view it from the athletic aspect, but I wanted you to talk about how mm-hmm. to help you prepare for life in general. Man. Um, I think playing sports or I think competition in general, I think is key. I think nowadays because of the era that we in, I'm not one of those, like they say, the old man, get off my lawn. It was better back in the day. But I do think that as a culture, we're a lot softer than we were when, when I was a child. I don't know how old you are. I'm 38. So like, I don't remember getting a participate. Okay. So I don't remember getting a participation trophy. Like either you won or you lost. And you had to learn how to conceptualize that, how to deal with it, how to internalize that. What did I do wrong? Um, I need to get back on the court. Like, I remember you didn't play a bunch of AAU games. Like, you showed up to the playground or somebody's backyard, you picked the team, and if you won, you stayed. If you lost, you sat on the, on the sidelines. So I think early on, and again, I was just talking to my wife about this, man. I think, I can't say this enough because I'm so about just looking at like our black kids in particular, man, um, how society has not gotten easier for us, but we've gotten softer. So a lot of us, when we come out here, including myself for a little bit, we weren't prepared. Like I feel like we should have been, but I think sports gave me an edge in that. So as I get older, even in my job I'm at now, I can just tell by how certain people react. Like, okay, you never competed at anything. You, you never were a part of a team. You don't know how to, communicate you don't necessarily know how to lead um you don't have a work ethic like that it's just i think all around whether you played a single sport or a team sport just learning how to deal with adversity learning how to uh, overcome learning how to deal with the wins as well as and and taking the losses well i think all of that was key in helping me um get to where i am today that's why to me i always kind of tend to flock to people sometimes who i know have that kind of athletic background. I really do. I think it's super, super beneficial. Now you've mentioned Chicago, um, of course, a, a lot. So I'm a, we we know you from there. But I wanted to ask you if you actually were the mayor of Chicago, what were some things you would change or you would put in place to help your city improve? Well, the first thing I would do is in a lot of our communities, we have a lot of grassroots 
organizations are just grassroots people who are trying to get things done. The problem with Chicago is it's super, super political. It always has been. So you have a lot of people in power who are in city hall in different places, even the new mayor. I know we have our first black female mayor, our first openly gay mayor and all that kind of stuff. But even she has to be political with certain things. So I would try to strip away all the red tape, get into these areas and actually meet with the people who the people respect, talk to the people and start trying to set up grassroots programs. So for example, everybody always talks about community centers and all that. That's cool. But what are we going to teach in these community centers? Because I'm somebody that doesn't believe just teaching everybody to go to school, go to school, go to school is actually beneficial like that. Because a lot of times what they don't tell you on the other side is like, yeah, you get the degree, but you still got to come back to the people to get the job. And then if you're somebody like myself or my wife, let's say you're not part of a fraternity or sorority or this group, it makes that part even harder. And I just think it's not knocking people who are in groups, but it's just having an honest conversation and help making sure our youth are prepared. So I would set up centers to make sure our youth are prepared. Do you understand financial literacy, basic things, things like that? Um, life planning skills. You know, what does it take to go on a job interview? What about, do you want to have your own business? What does that really look like? What does that mean to build a brand when everything is social media, everything's internet? So actually giving kids, and young people and people in the community, tools they can use and apply practically. I don't think it's necessarily enough to just say, well, I'm going to go to them and we're going to fund this program and fund this program. We've been funding programs for years. And don't get me wrong, programs need to be funded. But I would take the approach of instead of just dropping a bag off for this program or we're going to do this with the park district, having a strategic plan and a plan that makes sense. So when we do drop this bag off, we know it's in good hands. We know the right people who know the people who have great intentions can actually do something progressive with it. Cause that's what is going on right now in our city. Everybody talks about gentrification, other things, but the main issue is Chicago is so political that it's hard to cut through the red tape to actually be able to get things done. And I would want to cut through that red tape and work with the grassroots people and the people of the community and the people of the neighborhood. That would be, wow. What, going by the answer, I don't know. Maybe you should consider running for it. <laughs> consider running for people say this kind of stuff to me all the time, bro. Not even to my own horn, just being real, man. Because I have a lot of great ideas like that. I just don't, I don't want that kind of responsibility like that. And to be quite honest, I don't believe in people as a whole like that. Um, <laughs> I believe nowadays the system is set up in such a way that it's hard to affect the masses, man. This social media and this internet thing has been a huge game changer. So I believe in meeting people where they are and where they at and trying to help people at that level. And hopefully it could be enough of us to get together down the line to be able to do some positive things. But man, there's so many different issues going on, man. You were almost like my grand plan. Like ideally what I would love to do, is go like house by house. Like first, let's start rebuilding some of these households. And then once we rebuild these households, now we have a block. And then let's go to the next block. And then let's go to the next block. Now we have a community. And now that we have a community, we can actually leverage some things economically and things of that nature. But because it's so sporadic and things are so spread out, like I said, there's so many things at play, it makes it almost impossible in my eyes. And I know people might say that that sounds negative or you hopeless, 
now I'm just a realist and I just read people and deal with people. Um, you know, I, I'll say this on your show, but I'm in law enforcement. So I come across people all the day and I work in an area where I come across all kinds of social economic backgrounds, ethnic groups, all types of crime, low crime, high crime. Like I've seen it all. So trust me, when I say these kind of things, I'm paid to watch and observe and talk to people. I'm a community relations officer. That's all I do all day. So, you know, in my humble opinion, it will have to start like that. You know, that's how I would do it. So that's why for me, I don't want to be in politics because I don't want to play that game. I just don't. So let me ask you, I, I don't, I'm not going to go too deep into your career, but just since you mentioned that you're in law enforcement, do you, mm-hmm. feel that, do you feel it has actually, because you've seen so much firsthand, do you feel like that's actually discouraged you from kind of doing some things? No, because I kind of already felt this way. Again, I'm somebody that, like, even if we look at certain things that's going on today politically, I laugh at a lot of people because people are still having these debates and these arguments, and they don't really understand how the system works. I'm somebody that always understood how the system works. Like, I've always got it. You know, my hero is somebody like Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey. Like, I've named my son after Marcus Garvey. That's his middle name, Garvey. My daughter's middle name is Sojourner, uh, at the Sojourner Truth. So I'm somebody that's always been, I hate this word because it's such a, commercialized world now but conscious like so I'm somebody that always kind of understood that if anything it kind of just showed me the plight is a lot worse than what people really believe for a lot of people just being real it's a lot of people out here really struggling like really struggling and coming across people who have attempted to help and for whatever reason because of things that are out of my control from their past and different things they're just not willing to either be able to take the help or be able to take the help and then escape that situation, man. It's so many dynamics. So for me, it kind of just took those rose-colored glasses off even more to, like, really be able to see. So instead of me reading, like, a Michelle Alexander's Mass Incarceration book, and that's what I did my senior thesis on was the Mass Incarceration of Black Men, to actually see it firsthand and realize, okay, the system is doing this and doing this. Oh, okay, that's why we have this going on. So it didn't necessarily discourage me, but just kind of give me a real dose of truth serum of like, okay, this is what's really going on. So what do I need to come up with mentally to combat that? Because a lot of things I think people come up with, whether it's giving out turkeys or Thanksgiving or book bags, like that stuff's cool. But once the turkeys are given out and the book bags is given, then what? And that's why I said it's a lot harder, I think, than people really, really realize. Hey man, I, I know you, you know, you got a busy day and you, you, you know, you made time for me to do this. And I just wanted to take the time to thank you for uh, taking the time to do this podcast with me. I, I mean, I got some time. If you want to ask me another question, I, I made some time. So, I mean, if you got something else, that's fine too. But if you want to ask me one more, I got, I got about 20 more minutes. It's okay. Up to you. Let me see. Let me, th- we, we can kind of, we can kind of freelance this thing. Cause you was talking about politics, right? What do you, right. what do you so, what do you okay now, now let me throw this disclaimer out i normally don't talk about <laughs> politics i hate talking politics but- we don't have to i don't either i kind of hate it personally um that's why i kind of always bring it back into the context of like how can i make this sound you know like as human as possible or dealing with it at the community level because i i hate talking about it too i do i really do 
You know what? Okay. I I know what I, I we we I know what I forgot to ask you. And I can't believe I forgot to ask okay, you. Okay, go ahead. And this is basketball because <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we we we're not gonna get too deep, but I need to know. We in we in January, so I need to know who do you think is gonna win the NBA championship? And I need to know who's gonna be the okay. MVP. The championship, I, I picked the Clippers at the beginning of the season. Um, and aside from Paul George and even Kawhi Leonard coming there, um, I looked at their whole team. I've been big on this theme now, um, how they built this team to basically throw multiple people at LeBron James to be able to slow him down and stop him. And in year 17, um, that's what happens when he plays against upper echelon teams. I know people have been mad at me lately because I said on my last podcast, he's not the best player in the league anymore. And people don't want to hear that. But the Clippers have literally assembled, like if we were talking about baseball, like a bullpen of people that can guard him. And then they come in with their closer, like the Yankees had Mariano Rivera and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. So I was big on the Clippers for that. The MVP coming in, I mean, I thought it was going to be the usual suspects. I didn't expect, even though I knew Luka Doncic would be good, I actually had him. I thought he should have went number one in that draft. He was my best player in that draft on my draft board. But I had Giannis and Harden again. Um, with uh, LeBron possibly being there because I knew one, I'm not saying he's washed. People misunderstand it. I just feel like he's like not the best player. He might be five or six now. It's okay. But I knew he would have a lot to prove. Um, I didn't anticipate Steph getting hurt like that, obviously, and Kawhi. But for my money, it's going to be probably Giannis. And I talked about this and wrote about this. He should have did it last year. He might be the first person since Michael Jordan. Jordan is the only person to do this to win the MVP and Defensive Player of the Year award. He was MVP and Defensive Player of the Year runner-up last season to Rudy Gobert. And he's right there again leading in a lot of the defensive uh, statistical categories, especially what they call the advanced stats that they've come up with. He's leading in a lot of those. So I think it's going to be the Clippers. And I think I got Giannis for the MVP. I don't know who's coming out the East. I have Philly, but that looks so shaky right now. Um, but I had the Clippers, and I got Giannis winning the MVP. So, okay, let me – so because I don't watch a lot of ba- – like, again, I don't watch a lot of basketball during the season. Um, I have followed a little bit. I know about the Clippers. I usually watch Christmas basketball. So what threw me off, I saw, mm-hmm. uh, I saw they put a Beverly on them like at the end of the game and Beverly made them yeah, turn the ball yeah. up, which, which really shocked me. Yeah. But the, the, uh-huh. the thing about LeBron, just him not, yeah, he's def, he's not the best player, but the, the fact that he's, what is LeBron? 30s. How does LeBron? He have? just made 35. He's he just 30, made 35 yeah, he, this week. He's so in the, year 17. So the <laughs> fact that he's in year 17 and he's still in the conversation for the best player, I think that's that's amazing in itself. But of course, MVP, I, I I mean I haven't. So again, I, I guess I would have me personally. I'm not going to say who I think should be MVP because I haven't watched enough. But I do know the Clippers are a balanced team. But I'm going to tell you a team that I that I really like, and I liked them last year. Not sure what happened. They got another. I, I think Portland. I like Denver a lot. I haven't been able to follow them this much. That this much. Follow him that much this year, but yeah. I like I like Denver squad. And I like um I like Jokic a lot. Yeah, he kind of has taken a step back this year. Um, they still are winning games, like they're towards the top of the West. I think if I was to look it up, they probably third right now. 
um, behind the Clippers and the Lakers. Uh, I mean, behind the Lakers and the Mavericks, somewhere in there. They're either third or second, I can't remember. But they kind of – Jokic hasn't played well this year like that. He's kind of coming on now. The big thing for them, the storyline is the young fella, uh, Michael Porter Jr., who was the number one high school player like two seasons ago. Then he had the back injury, and he missed all of his rookie season last year. He's put up 25-plus points in his back-to-back starts. So he could be maybe the, the, um, the piece that they need. They just – the NBA, like you said, is two seasons. You got the regular season. So you got some teams that are built for the regular season. You got some teams that's built for the playoffs. Denver hasn't shown me yet that they're built for the playoffs and the game, as they always say, really slows down. Um, Jamal Murray, Jokic, uh, I like Millsap as a veteran player. Like, they got some pieces, but they haven't been able to – and last year was their first really taste of that to really show me if they're a playoff team yet. That's why I'm not really high on Denver. To me, it's going to come down to the battle of L.A., the Lakers and Clippers, especially if LeBron and Anthony Davis and them are healthy. It's going to be a tough kind of slug fest type of uh, matchup because it looks like they're on a collision course. Um, the rest of the teams, like Dallas has been a surprise this year because of uh, Luka Doncic, but it's going to come down to that battle of L.A. again. But I do like Denver. What about in the East? Uh, what, I, Miami, from what I read, doing pretty good. Surprising people. Um, Shouts out to Kendrick Nunn, Chicago, Simeon High School, Derrick Rose. Um, they have another guy from Kentucky, uh, Tyler Hero, that's a rookie that's been playing well. Bam out of Bayou out of Kentucky. He's probably going to win most improved. And then you add somebody like Jimmy Butler with his toughness and everything. They've been they've been really, really, really good this year. I think they want to say they just, they're third. I think they're second or third because it's Boston, who's been good this year, and Toronto, who's been good this year, um, that's at the top of the East right now. I will say this about Jimmy Butler. At first, I would be honest, I thought he was kind of being selfish when he was like, no, I want to go to Miami, and he wanted his own team. Mm-hmm. But now that they're doing well, and he seems to be he seems to be grooming the team, like he's stepping up into a leadership role, and he's always been like one of the hardest workers in the league. I, I actually, I actually definitely like that decision, huh? No, I think he definitely is one of the harder workers. It was a great decision for him. I didn't like the way he executed certain things, but he knew Minnesota was a sinking ship, and it looks like Philly is a sinking ship. Like it was a lot of rumors and different things going around that team, and now you know a lot of chemistry issues, leadership issues, you know, questioning and be. Um, I've been you know, very, I want to say criticized, but very hard on Ben Simmons not being a point guard, how the team is, you know, constructed. So I think he kind of saw a lot on the inside of what was going on. It's like, you know what, I'm going to get out of here, go to Miami, stable organization, great culture. You you hear about the heat way. And, you know, again, we can apply this to your, you know, just in life, man. When you have a great culture, great organization, you got a value, a set of values, a set of principles that you believe in, which are usually the right things, like the cliche things like accountability. You know, that's a foreign word nowadays. Work ethic, consistency, that those are the organizations, even in the NBA, you see doing well. That don't mean you might not have a bad season here and there, but for the most part, you're always going to be like the cream of the crop. And that's what Jimmy Butler saw. I was like, yo, you know what? I'm going to go down to Miami. And I think that had a lot to do with it as well. 
Man, I think that's a great way to close us out, man. Thank you for all your time. All right, all right. Now, before before you go, let's make sure we tell everybody how they can continue to follow your podcast and your blog and everything else you're involved with. No problem, man. I appreciate it. I try to make it as simple as possible. It's literally theauthorglasspodcast.com. The link is on my main page. You click the link, it shoots you right over to Spreaker. On that front page as well, I have a free email subscription list. So I'm not selling out you know, people's emails. It doesn't cost you anything to subscribe. Every time I write, for the most part, you'll get an email blast showing you my work. Um, so support me that way. My Instagram is Zach D off the glass podcast. I'm on there. I do a IG TV series called NBA breakdown by Z. So I'm breaking down actual game footage. Um, I started a new series called throwback Thursday. So I'm going to go back in the vaults, kind of throw some, some old games out this week. I picked the 92 uh, semifinals between the New York Knicks and the, the Bulls game seven, like Jordan had like 45, some crazy. So I'll break that down. Um, if you want to dialogue with me on Twitter, it's ZJ at D off the glass. So that's pretty much. And then all oh, the YouTube again, YouTube is the off the glass podcast. So everything is all off the glass podcast. You you can't go wrong. So make sure to subscribe, make sure to follow in. I interact and like, you know, you hit me up. I write you back, you know? So, you know, I appreciate the opportunity, man. This has really, really, really been dope, man. I appreciate it. Hey man, thank you for taking the time. And, you know, I wish you all the best, man. I'm, I'm really happy to see that you're growing your brain, your, um, your podcast. And I just pray that 2020 brings even more growth to you. I appreciate that, bro. And likewise for you and your family, man, let's let's continue to grow. And let's continue to get better. I'm challenging people this summer. This, I mean, this year, let's just continue to grow and get better. And if you have any other topics down the line, man, I, I love talking about other things, man. It doesn't always have to be basketball. I love it, man. Let's Let's do it. Definitely. We'll link back up, man. All right. And thank you all for taking the time to listen to the podcast. You all have a great day.